Hey, chaff, you remember that from Psalm 1? To be like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing fruit in season, leaves not withering. We want to make 2018 a tree-building year, a year of discipleship. And on Wednesday night, this coming Wednesday night, we're starting a class, a discipleship class called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And the response to this has been so good, 97 of you have already signed up. How great is that? 97. And so this morning, I think we're going to get pushed past the 100 mark, because here's what we're going to do. I thought we were going to have to cap this thing around 60 because of room space situation, but this week we worked on a plan to use this room as our Wednesday night discipleship classroom. So that means the numbers can grow as big as they need to grow. So we are not going to cap it, so to speak. So if you've been on the fence about uh, coming or not, we're going to set up tables. We're going to tear like half of this room down, and you need to picture like 15 round tables set up. And when you come in on Wednesday night, you'll be assigned a table. You'll be with that table for the eight weeks. And I want to give you a little preview to the journey that's ahead for us on these Wednesday nights. Take a look. trouble today. It's like we're sitting on top of an iceberg that's melting, but we're reluctant to make the changes that are needed. We can be in our 30s and 40s, even 70s and 80s physically, and yet be emotionally a teenager. It's a truth about the Christian life that at one point or another, you will hit a wall. By a wall, I'm referring to a season in your life when you will feel stuck. God invites us to be our unique selves before him know who we are, not pretend to be somebody else. See, God wants to communicate to us his true sweetness and love. He, he longs for us that we might know his true peace and rest. But to get there, however, false layers and unhealthy attachments inside of us must be burned away. So let me invite you to consider taking the EHS journey, and we will build a church that will transform not only our generation, but the generations that will follow. Amen, right? So... Love it if some of you who've been debating whether you're going to be a part of that, now's your time. So we need to make today kind of the final point for sign up. So you can go on the app, you can go on the website, there's a spot there for discipleship class. You can sign up right now and that'll help us prepare the tables and the table leaders appropriately for Wednesday night. And then we're going to kind of shut down the registrations because the class needs to stay together for the eight weeks. We will offer this class again farther into the year, but I think this will be really formational for where we're headed in 2018. So I'd love for you to come, be a part. So those of you who have signed up or are signing up now, Wednesday night, come to this room, and we'll get started promptly at 7 o'clock. We'll end at 8.30. We've got child care on site here, and I think it's going to be a great, great journey together. Building trees in 2018. Amen. I think hunger is a sign of life, and the fact that a 100 of you are carving out this eight-week run to do this on Wednesday night, that's a good sign for healthy life in the body. Hunger, sign of life. Open up your Bibles. John chapter 10, we're continuing our series that we started last week called Disciple. And we talked about the word disciple being learner and the posture of a learner, that everyone has to learn how to live from somebody. And I choose Jesus because he's the wisest and the best. And it makes sense to me that if you're going to be a learner of a master teacher, that discerning and understanding the voice of the teacher would be a central part of being a disciple. I want to introduce you to Dr. Alfred Tomatus. He's an otolaryngologist. You want to try to pronounce that one? Otolaryngologist. World-renowned he was. 
and he practiced mostly in Europe. Now, an otolaryngologist specializes in medical kind of difficulties related to ear, nose, and throat. So what put Dr. Thomas on the map was one patient. One patient who was one of the most famous opera singers in all of Europe came to his office and said, Dr. Thomas, there's a big problem in my world, and the problem is this. I can no longer hit certain notes in my vocal range. And he has for years been hitting these notes. And he said he's gone to several different ear, nose, and throat specialists, and all of them have been focusing on issues related to his throat, looking at his vocal cords. And Dr. Thomas thought, you know, I think it might be something else. So Dr. Thomas got a sonometer. You know what a sonometer is? A sonometer measures decibel levels. And he took the sonometer and he held it about three feet in front of this opera singer. And he told the singer, go ahead and sing like you would in a normal performance. And as this vocalist began to project their voice, the sonometer went to 140 decibels. Now to give a little context, a jet engine is around 130 So this opera singer at three feet in front of them was projecting louder than a jet engine. Think about that the next time you're sitting on the tarmac and everybody out there is having those earmuffs on for a reason. So then Dr. Tomatis realized if three feet from them it's 140 decibels, how much is it inside their skull, inside their head? Probably 150 to 160. So this is when he drew this conclusion. He said to the singer, sir... I've diagnosed your problem. Your problem isn't have anything to do with your vocal cords. The problem is your selective deafness is causing your selective muteness. Because the voice can only speak what the ear is able to hear. Sir, you have deafened your capacity to hear those notes in your range, and if you can't hear those notes, you can't sing those notes. Well, the Academy of Medicine in France was so taken back by this whole thing, they came up with a phrase. It's an actual medical diagnosis now. It's called the Tomatus effect. And it has to do with those who struggle vocally, but it's not anything to do with their vocal cords. That's everything to do with their hearing. When I read all of this, I immediately thought, maybe it's because I'm a pastor, you know, as only pastors think about this stuff, I'm sure. But I say, Lord, is there such a thing as a spiritual tomatus effect? Is there such a thing as an ability to kind of lose our capacity to hear God's notes And when we do that, our life doesn't sing God's song? Could it be that when we get to a place and God's voice gets out of range for our hearing, our life gets out of sorts and out of whack? I think it might be spiritual Thomas effect. I know I've had plenty of times in my life where that's really what the struggle was. And I might have projected my struggle as an emotional struggle or a relational struggle or a career struggle or a family struggle. At the heart of it, it might have been a struggle with my hearing. Maybe the selective muteness of some parts of my life was related to a deafness to the voice that I really, really need to hear. 
So what we're going to do this morning and next Sunday is we're just going to unpack the answer to this question. What does it look like? What's involved in becoming the kind of person that listens to God? That's in step with his voice. Because we really, really believe that the God that's revealed to us in Jesus is a speaking God. Do you believe that? That God still speaks today. That his voice is still active today. And that if God is a speaking God and we as a disciple are learning how to live from Jesus, we're entering Jesus' school of living with open hearts and open hands and saying, hey, Jesus, you teach me how to live. A big part of learning how to live from Jesus is I've got to listen and understand what he's saying. How am I going to be able to live out his life if I can't listen to his voice? So this morning and next week, let's look at what does it mean to overcome spiritual automatists? And I think this is what he's addressing in John chapter 10. So John chapter 10 says it this way. Jesus said in verse 27, my sheep listen to My voice, I know them, and they follow me. If you have your Bibles there, I'd encourage you to circle the three verbs. Listen, know, follow. Circle those and then draw a line between listen, know, and follow. Do you see the link? So if Jesus is saying, hey, if you struggle in your listening, you're going to struggle in your knowing, and it's going to manifest in a breakdown in your following. So listening opens up to a knowing, and the knowing becomes the fuel that propels our following. So my sheep, what? They listen to my voice. They're dialed into what I am saying, which is key to knowing. And that word knowing has to do with intimacy and companionship, which is essential to following. So Jesus says, hey, if you're going to be my follower, you first have to be my listener. You come to me with a posture of saying, hey, Dig out my ears, Jesus, and help me to hear what you have to say. So I want to look at two kind of key aspects of what it means to listen to the voice of Jesus. And the first one has to do with the book that's in many of your hands right now, this God-breathed book. Scripture is central to hearing and understanding the voice of God. I put it this way in my notes. I think I put it in your notes as well. If you want to grow in your ability to hear what God is saying it would be wise to immerse yourself in what he's already said. I'll say that again. So if you and I want to grow in our ability to hear what God is saying, it seems to me wisdom would be, I should become very familiar with what he's already said. These God-breathed words right here, 66 books, right, written right by 15, over 15 different centuries, written hundreds of different authors in three continents and three languages, you've got this book preserved for us, stewarded by the Holy Spirit. It's the only book you pick up where it says, and God said, comma, quote. And you go, it seems like immersion here would be central to understanding what he's saying now. I want you to think of it like, kind of like a child learns a language. So they say for a baby, the first nine to 12 months of their life, right? The first words a baby speaks is somewhere in that nine to 12 month old. Um, Girls speak around nine months, boys speak around 12 months. No editorial comments needed there. Girls speak nine months, boys speak 12 months. And they say at the end of year one for a baby, there's approximately five words on average that a baby can speak at the end of year one. I think they're words like dada, papa, Daddy, 
Dada. Five words. But follow this now. By the end of the fifth year of their life, a language explosion has occurred and they can speak 14,000 words. And some of you are parenting right through the sequence right now and you're like, that's what's going on in my house. There's a language explosion happening. But as we get started, I want you to think about this analogy as many of you are getting started and as you enter into a new year, maybe you're kind of upping your immersion factor in God's word. Here's what I want you to kind of approach it as. I want you to approach it like an infant in the first few years of language school. When an infant is immersed into the language that they're born into, it's just so much noise. They can't discern what's a real intelligible word from what's just background noise. It's just all these things, and that's kind of like what it is. Many of you may be reading through the Bible for the first time. Do you know what it's going to be like for the first few times you read through the Bible? It's going to be like an infant, just noise all over the place. You're not going to understand what's going on. You can't figure out what king is connected to what prophet and why this nation is called Israel, and then it's called Jacob, and Jacob is a person, and Jacob is a country, and what is going on with all of this stuff? And you're going to get so confused with all of it. And what I want you to do is just kind of relax and settle in and give yourself permission to learn. There's a lot going on in this book. You're not going to be able to pick this up in year one, two, or three. I often tell people you need to have a journey, and it probably parallels with the human development. Somewhere around year six or seven for me, things began to click together in the immersion part. Now, that may not be super encouraging, but I was going to say it anyway. Like, you just need to be at this for a good six, seven-year run of letting the white noise begin to, you know, there'll be an intelligible word here, an intelligible word there, and you'll begin to discern what God is saying here and discern what God is saying there. And one of the first intelligible words you'll have with Scripture is in, the, is in the category of the bigger story. What do I mean by bigger story? It means when you read Genesis to Revelation, one of the challenges is our mind learns best when we get the whole and we can put the parts, kind of break it down and put those parts back up into the hole. So we can get downlined into the middle of one of the kings or the prophets or somewhere in the gospels, and we can't figure out what is the specifics related to this interchange. What does the Abrahamic covenant have to do with the nation of Israel, and why is that so important in God's eyes? It's the bigger story issue. So when you begin, what will happen to you, I think around year four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there, you're going to start piecing the bigger story. What we're going to be doing on Wednesday nights is going to be super helpful in some of this stuff. Because we've got to get the bigger story down so that when you get immersed, when you come into church on a Sunday morning or you read the devotional you're working through during the week or you go to a Bible study and you're inserted down into the parts of the story, you've got some racks, some structure to hang what you're learning on. Are you tracking with me? So you start with like creation, fall, flood, nations, Abrahamic covenant, the unfolding of the nation of Israel into the prophets and the kings. You start piecing this story together, and then all of a sudden, you start just kind of settling in to the tone and the rhythm and the pace with which God is speaking. Because if we want to better understand what God is saying, if we want to hear from God more today, there's wisdom in immersing in what he's already said. And it's preserved for us in 66 books, and it's called a God-breathed book. And the ironic thing here is, one of the things you read about in Scripture is, this isn't the only way God speaks. 
God's book reveals the multiplicity of ways that he communicates with his people. I mean, he even uses a donkey back in the Old Testament to communicate to Balaam and Balak. You go, well, what's going on there? And God can use a burning bush for Moses. God can use anything he wants to use to get his point across. And so, but I think the centering point, the reason I start this is the first element of what does it mean to be a people who listen to God? We're a people immersed in this God-breathed book because this becomes our filter, kind of our discernment filter, our sifting through, how do I know, Lord, if this is my voice, if this is somebody else's voice, and if this is God's voice? You ever been there? Like, Lord, is this me? Is this the meal I had last night? Is this my spouse in my ear? Or is this the Spirit? How do you sort through all of that? Well, one of the key filters is this God-breathed book. So whatever we're doing and navigating, listening to God, it's got to have the guardrails on it right here. Because there's nothing God's going to speak to us today that doesn't line up with what he's already said here. So that's why when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, God spoke to me and told me to do A, B, C, D, and A, B, C, D don't line up with his character and what he's revealed here, I can help them with some level of confidence. Say, I can be confident something has spoken to you about this, but I'm pretty confident it's not God. Because God's character is revealed to us this way, so your discernment of how God's leading you over here is not lining up with who he's revealed himself to be here. Are you tracking? That's why this has got to become that filter. And parents, this is why it's so critical. We've got to have our kids immersed in a spiritual community like this. So downstairs, like all of our Eagle Kids ministry, you know what's so critical in all this? Do you realize if you have your child in Eagle Kids ministry from the time they're very young, by the time they go up to middle school in the loft in fifth grade, they will have gone through Genesis to Revelation twice. I don't know if that could be said of you or me back at that age, but what a gift that is. So then what is that doing? That's teaching them. That's immersing them early in this God-breathed book. What a gift that's going to be in their teenage years because we want them to be able to dial into the voice of Jesus. So when Ian and Julia and the team take them through middle school and high school years, what are we going to help? We're going to help them use the grounding that's already been established to learn how to, hey, I think that's the Spirit's voice speaking to you. There was a couple students last Sunday after church, after Petula was here with us, you know, a couple students, they went out to lunch with Petula, and you know what the conversation was centered on? Two of our high school students saying, is God calling me to full-time cross-cultural missionary work? How encouraging is that? Two high school students. And then for Petula to be able to work, you know what the core of that is? They got to be in Jesus' school of living, and they got to hear Jesus' voice say, yes, this is where I want you to go, or no, this is what I have for you. It's a but it starts here. Do you realize what's contributed to those two young people having that lunch? Do you realize it's years and years of many of you praying and serving and giving and helping in our Eagle Kids and Eagle Student Ministry that manifests itself in a lunch like that with Petula? That's discipleship, missions, and next gen right there at a lunch table after service last week. That's what we're about. And so it starts with Scripture to become the kind of person who listens to God. Wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to leave? As a pastor, that's a wonderful thing in a memorial service to talk about. When the person who's passed away, one of the legacies they leave is they leave a legacy that they were the kind of person who listened to God and did what he spoke to them to do. Now, I want you to couple that. John 10, Jesus said, my sheep listen 
to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Listen, know, follow, John 10. I want you to link that with the second reality of listening to God and what I've called the whisper, the whispering ways of God. Have you met God in the whispering ways? Elijah did. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 19 back in the Old Testament. Elijah's a prophet. He's having a very difficult time. So difficult, he's depressed, he's discouraged, he's trying to walk away from his God-ordained assignment. Elijah is in the classic emotional tank. He's just done. And so he goes to this cave, and God meets him there. I want you to look at 1 Kings 19, verse 11, and I want you to see how Elijah is getting a lesson in the whispering ways of God. Verse 11, the Lord said to Elijah, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was, underline, not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was, underline, not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was, underline, not in the fire. And after the fire, now underline this with two underlines, came a What's the phrase? NIV says, a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. Now, that's a posture of reverence. So when they would take their cloak and they'd pull it over their face, it would be like that, just kind of a sense of they knew that God was there. And the voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Did you know God has an outdoor voice and an indoor voice? Come on now. You have an outdoor voice and an indoor voice. Especially if you have kids, you have an outdoor voice and an indoor. If you're a teacher, you've got an outdoor voice and an indoor voice. Sometimes I know I'm praying like, God, could you just use your outdoor voice on this one? I need earthquake and fire on this one, Lord. I don't want to miss it. God, send your thundering clarity into this. Anybody been there? I need earthquake, wind, fire. I need you to part the seas and send forth a pillar of fire and pillar of cloud and come right before me and grab my hand, grab my face in your hands and say, hey, that's the outdoor voice of God. Now, he does that periodically, but I want you to see the breakdown in an outdoor voice relationship with God. An outdoor voice relationship with God lacks something that really matters to God. You know what it lacks? Intimacy, companionship, nearness. We're doing this life together thing. An outdoor voice relationship with God has this sense of just following his commands. And do you see where God, now that's a part of us relating to God, but I want you to see it as in the category of it's kind of a maturing process. That there's this transition that comes where, you know what a good sign of maturity is when God doesn't have to raise his voice with earthquake and fire, when there's the gentle whisper and there's an attentiveness and awareness and we're able to step out and be in step. Say, well, why does God whisper? We wonder, say, what for Elijah, like, why are you whispering? Elijah's discouraged, he needs a word from God, and God comes and whispers to him. Do you know what happens when someone whispers to you? What do you have to do when someone is whispering? What do you have to do in that, when you're close to someone, right? 
If Kendra, if I come in the doors and there's something that mom and dad need to discuss that the daughters don't need to have an interaction about, what does Kendra do? She kind of meets me in the early part of the kitchen area and she whispers, what do I have to do? I have to lean toward her so I can hear her. Anybody tracking with me? So why does God, Choosebird, choose to use his whispering ways? The scripture says still, small voice. Some of you are super frustrated in the whispering ways of God. You want God to raise his voice and use an outdoor voice. And you know what God's saying to you? He's saying, hey, I'm whispering because I want more than just you following my commands. You know what I want? I want you to lean toward me so you can hear me. See, when he whispers, the posture he calls forth is a lean in and a lean toward. That's about intimacy. That's about companionship. That's about nearness. God's about relating. So he whispers. Listen to how Mark Batterson put it in your notes there. I put this quote. I thought he did such a good job of describing it. God wants us to hear what he's saying. And we must heed his voice. But much more than that, he wants us to hear his heart. So he whispers softer and softer so that we have to get closer and closer. And when we finally get close enough, he envelops us in his arms and tells us that he loves us. You track that? So the softer God's voice, the deeper the call to lean in and lean toward And God wants this kind of with God relationship with him. Like he really wants to do everyday life with us. Do you realize that with Jesus? A phrase around here, doing everyday life with Jesus. That's a big deal in a relationship with him. And that'll clarify why his sometimes frustrating ways of guiding us. You're wanting, Lord, send earthquake and fire because you just want clarity to follow the command. And you know what God's after? He's after some companionship. He's after some intimacy. He's wanting you to learn how to lean toward. And do you see how this is a learned process? Do you understand how, like, to learn how to listen to the whispering ways of God, do you realize that's going to require us slowing down and quieting down and leaning in? Do you know sometimes the most frustrating part of a relationship with God is, well, God's not speaking to me. God's not speaking to me. I need to hear from God, and he's not speaking to me. And you know what the kind of the heart of that struggle is? Sometimes it's an adjustment of lifestyle that we're unwilling to go to. We've got the volume of our life turned up so loud, we're like the opera singer with Dr. Thomas. We've got 140 decibels of life screaming in our ears, and our selective deafness is causing a selective muteness that we can't hear. You can't expect to hear the whisper of God if the noise factor of your life consistently runs at jet engine level month after month after month. It is not possible. So that's requiring an adjustment of lifestyle. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying this is what it means to grow and mature in our walk. So there's this noise factor. So a big part of our Wednesday night journey, by the way, is going to be learning how to quiet down slow down and lean in. Because Jesus said, listen, know, and follow are all linked up. 
So that means to adjust in his school of living, that means, hey, Simpson, that means you're going to learn how to quiet down, you're going to learn how to slow down, and you're going to how to lean in, and that's how you're going to pick up on the master teacher's voice. And when we're raising our kids, this is actually the paradigm we use as parents. In the early stages of our kids' lives, it's an outdoor relationship when they're super young in preschool years. Some of you may be a little too much earthquake and fire at times, but you know what I'm saying? You're just giving commands and instructions. You're trying to keep them from harming themselves. You just want them to obey. You're just giving them the instructions. Just stay within these boundaries, the early stage of the relationship. It's a bit like earthquake and fire. You're just sending very clear instructions. Mom and dad, clarity. But listen, if your kids are 21, 22, or 23, and you're still having to go outdoor voice, earthquake, and fire, that's not a sign of maturity. That's a sign of immaturity. That's a sign something has broken down in their development. Because when they become young adults, what is it you want to see happen in those kids' lives? You don't want to have to have them pick up the phone and call you at every key juncture in their life for you to have to go earthquake and fire on what you want them to do. That's not a, what do you want them to have? You want them to have so internalized the values and the decisions and the choices in those early formative years that you're whispering ways as a parent. Is that a good picture? Hey, you want your, you want your kids to grow up and they've got those whispering ways of the whisper of the Holy Spirit, which maybe sound a lot like the whisper of mom's voice or the whisper of dad's voice. And it's internalized right here. So when they face those crossroads, they know exactly what they need to do. That's maturity. An indoor voice relationship with God. So listen to how Dallas Willard put it. I found this quote quite challenging when I read it. He said, if you find yourself in a position where you can honestly say, God has never spoken to me, then you might well ask, why should God speak to me? What am I doing in life that would make speaking to me a reasonable thing for him to do? Are we in business together in life? Or am I in business just for myself, trying to use a little God to advance my projects? So if we want to become the kind of people who listen to God, Scripture is going to be central, and learning His whispering ways is going to require an adjustment of lifestyle. We're going to have to get off the treadmill of frantic busyness and chronic distraction, the noise factor off the charts and the pace factor off the charts to be able to learn how to slow down, quiet down, and lean in. Because the voice we really need to hear is that voice. There was a young girl named Mary Ann Bird who was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1928. She was born with a cleft palate so severe it required 17 surgeries. The psychological impact of that was much greater than the physical impact for her. Because when she went to school, she couldn't do simple things like blow up a balloon. And she couldn't drink out of the water fountain. And the classmates teased her mercilessly. And one of her least favorite days of the school year 
was the day when they did the whisper test. Now, they don't do this anymore, but back in the 20s, 30s, they did this all the time. The whisper hearing test that the teacher would put him through. And the way it worked was the teacher would sit at the front of the room and the students would come up to his or her desk lined up one by one. And the student would cover one ear. And for Mary Ann Bird, she was deaf in one ear on top of the cleft palate. So the students would cover one ear and the teacher would whisper something in the other ear, like the sky is blue, and then the student would have to repeat back that phrase. And if they repeat it back, they passed and next. So Mary Ann Bird knows her time's coming and she's going to walk up and it's just... Yeah, there's a lot going on inside of her. And her teacher, Miss Leonard, had something else in mind this day. Little Marianne Bird comes up to the desk. And she knew Marianne would like cup her hand around her bad ear because she just wanted to pick up like any rumbling possible to try to pass this test. I want to read for you Marianne's words of what Miss Leonard did. I got to the desk. Marianne said, I waited for those words which God must have put into Miss Leonard's mouth. Those seven words which changed my life. Because Miss Leonard leaned across the desk, got as close as she could to, hear this, my good ear. And she whispered, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. And those seven words changed the trajectory of Mary Hattenberg's life. Jesus said, my sheep Huh? They listen to me. I know them, and they will follow. And if we will slow down, and if we'll lean in, I believe our Savior will lean towards us, and he'll whisper a voice that we've been longing to hear. I know you. I see you. I love you. You are mine. You are mine. And at that point, we will have overcome spiritual Thomas effect. That our deafness has resulted in a muteness about our life and the voice we really need to hear more than the voice of a counselor or the voice of a spouse or the voice of a friend. We need the voice of the living God to whisper in, to lift up and speak. I see you. I know you. I love you. You are mine. It's the rhythm of listen, know, and follow. Church, it's at the core of what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a generous God. How you never give up on us. I just think of the pursuing ways of Jesus right now. I just think of all the times in my life when I'm running so fast, so full, so noisy, 130 decibels, and you just keep coming, and you keep whispering, and you keep drawing near, and you're just waiting. You're just waiting for that. Slow down. 
quiet down and lean in. So right now, I pray that you would dig out our ears, that we'd have a Miss Leonard, Mary Ann Bird moment right here. Send forth your whispering ways. Give us ears to hear. And a heart that not only listens, but follows. We ask it in Jesus' name.